0: Amen. That was lovely. Guys, thank the band for uh, this team, for leading us in worship. All the work. I, honestly, I just, I feel so humbled. by. I feel like everywhere I turn the last few days, there's someone just serving with a joyful spirit. It's incredible. Whether it's, uh, you know you know, there's folks who, coming through here after we're done and they sweep up and clean up all of the trash that we've left behind. And, you know, there's people painting steps and taking care of the grounds and uh, getting our food ready in the dining hall. And, you know, just the list goes on and on. The folks working with the kids. Um, I just feel so grateful. Would you guys get all these folks, all the people it takes to make this place happen. It's incredible so special, so special. And uh, how it is just such an honor and a privilege to be here with you tonight. Oh, thank you Beulah for making me and my family feel so welcome. Have any of you ever been on a road trip before? And you are just—you are on top of your game. You are flying down the road. You know your destination. You're excited about where you're headed. Uh, you know you—you you know what your ETA is. Your people waiting for you on the other end. They know when you're meant to arrive. You've got your snacks with you. You've got—you know—a drink or two in the car, coffee or you know something and and you are ready to go you're just sailing down the road and then all of a sudden you see brake lights ahead anyone what is that feeling when you see the brake lights up ahead and you see everyone slowing down and you get up there and you realize oh no we're not just slowing down this is a complete stop and it's that moment where you don't know. Okay, is this? I'm gonna have to take a detour. Is this the kind of detour that takes five minutes, or is this the kind of detour that means I may never get there at all? Right. And it, of course, there's varying degrees of irritation and frustration to a moment like this, depending on how important it is that you get your destination on time, depending, you know, your personality. Even in our family, we have you know different responses to moments like this. But no one's actually like. No one's excited about a moment like this. No one's like, "Yippee!" You're like, right? If you are, you're crazy. No one no one likes that. We don't like interruptions. Especially unwelcome ones. What is interrupting your life right now? What's the interruption in your life right now? Whether the interruption is annoying and inconvenient, or maybe it's taking your life and it's literally just turning it completely upside down. What is it? That you're going, hey, this is not how it was supposed to go. This isn't what was supposed to happen. This isn't what I had planned. This isn't how I saw it all playing out. Whether it's a physical ailment that you just don't know, you don't have answers to. Or if it's a job situation that is just not going the way you hoped it would. Or maybe a relationship that has you up at night keeping you awake. What? What is it? What's going on right now that just feels like an interruption in your life? Because the text that we're going to today in the book of Acts, it kind of asks these questions of us. What if God wants you to see that interruption as an opportunity? And what if God wants you to see it as an invitation to involvement? In fact, what if he wants to use that interruption as momentum for a miracle in your life? What if he wants you to see it as an invitation to involvement? You see, an interruption is an invitation from Jesus to get involved, It's an invitation from Jesus to get involved. And, you know, one of the famous invitations from Jesus, I know it's just a pen here on the stage, but I am klutzy enough that I will trip on it. So I'm just going to move it. Uh, One of the the classic invitations that we see from Jesus is this invitation where he, he comes to them, they're fishing, and he says, come, follow me. It's an invitation from Jesus. And quite frankly, before Jesus came along and issued that invitation, when, when Jesus met the disciples, their lives were normal. Their lives were fine. I mean, they were fishermen, many of them. They were spending a lot of their time in a boat on a lake. Some of you guys are like, that's actually my idea of a vacation is to spend time in a boat on a lake or on a river in this case, right? These guys logged lots. Sure, they had the occasional storm, but they were used to sitting for long hours, waiting on a boat for fish, casting their nets. Their lives were calm. They were predictable. They were tidy. They were controlled until Jesus came along and he says, follow me. It always starts with an invitation. But an invitation from Jesus is an invitation to get involved. And here's the thing in the church. I think we're pretty good at invitations. We're pretty good. We, we invite people to church. We invite people to come forward to the altar. We invite people to come with us to our small group. We invite people. We're not so good at the involvement piece sometimes that's a little trickier. And yet when Jesus invited the disciples, and we keep reading in Matthew, this invitation from Jesus, uh, you know, it it took them from sitting in a boat day after day, all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're spending their days with sick people, lame people, uh, with huge crowds following them around, people who were uh, critical of them, opposition with demons, demon-possessed people. Last time I checked, there aren't a lot of demon-possessed fish, right? So they're trading in this for this other situation. Everywhere they go, every, you know, t- corner they turn, there's another demon-possessed person. Oh, here's another one, Jesus. And so their lies just get weird and complicated and crazy. And we're tempted to think, I think, sometimes that when we respond to Jesus' invitation, that he's gonna calm our lives down somehow, that he's gonna make us more comfortable. No, his intention is not to settle you down, it's to send you out. His intention is not to tame you, his intention is to light a fire in your spirit that is in sync with the fire in his heart. An invitation from Jesus is always an invitation to get involved. And so I want to take us to a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 16, where Paul has this unique invitation to get involved. And I want you guys to see what Paul does with it. So while you're turning to Acts 16, uh, I just, I want to kind of set this passage up for you a little bit. So here's Paul and he's in the city of Philippi. Uh, This is uh, his first venture into what is now modern-day Europe. Um, It's his second missionary journey. You may be familiar with this story. It's when Paul and Silas are put in prison, and they start to sing. And as they're singing, the ground shakes. The, The chains fall off, the prison doors open. I like to call this the original jailhouse rock. You guys know by now that I I come up with like soundtracks that play in the background behind all these songs. And so the one playing here is Elvis's Jailhouse Rock, although um, I think Paul and Silas, probably their rendition, like it was the original. It was better. But you might be familiar with this miracle, but are you familiar with the momentum for the miracle? Are you familiar with the momentum for this miracle? Because did you know that uh, miracles have starting places? They have trigger points. And the starting place for God's miracle is our involvement. It's our involvement in God's kingdom work all around us. Too often, we want the miracle, but we aren't willing to be a part of the process that leads up to the miracle. We want the financial miracle. We want the flourishing life. We want the healing. We want the prodigal child to come home. Uh, We want the new career opportunity. We want the answer to prayer, but we disconnect the miracle from its momentum, from the place where the miracle begins. And so, This miracle in this jail cell in Philippi has a starting place, and that's where I want to take us tonight. It's the starting place for this miracle. It's Acts chapter 16, and I'll start reading in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, so they were on their way to the synagogue, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. We'll stop there for a minute. We'll keep going in a moment. But here is this picture of Paul and Silas. And they're on the way to prayer. They're on the way to the synagogue. And this this woman comes and starts bothering them. It's very spiritual, isn't it? If you ever need an excuse to not do something that you don't want to do, just Paul's got a good one here, right here. I'm on my way to pray. Very spiritual. I'm on my way to pray. Listen to me. When you are on your way, God will put people in your way. Let me say that again. When you are on your way, God will put people in your way. And in his way this day is this messed up, mixed up slave girl. In fact, her owners are making money off of her dysfunction. She's so messed up. And here's the reality, friends. You don't have to think long and hard. All around you are people who the enemy is making a profit off of making a profit off of their dysfunction. The enemy is making a profit off of their life, off of their brokenness, their bad choices. They are just as enslaved as this woman right here in our text. Some of you are like, amen, yes, I know, because you were there once and because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we were singing about a minute ago, you are free, amen, someone So here is this woman that is enslaved. And here's the thing, the enemy knows only how to do three things, right? He knows how to steal, he knows how to kill, and he knows how to destroy. He's really not that creative. He's sneaky, but he's not that creative. And yet he has found a way to make a profit, tearing up this woman's life. Tearing up the lives of people around us. And so here's the Apostle Paul on his way to pray, <laughs> and he ignores her. And I guilty of this? Paul doesn't want to get involved, he doesn't want to. He's going, I am on my way somewhere to do the Lord's work. I mean, he came to Philippi with a purpose, right? He came there to plant a church. And so he is on his way to the synagogue where he is going to pray, and he is going to preach, and he's going to win some more souls. or or to the, the place where people pray, even if there wasn't a synagogue in that town. And so here he is. He goes, I'm in a new city. Like, I can't have this messy woman follow me around, embarrassing me. I'm trying to get people saved. I'm trying to get converts. And yet God won't let him off the hook that easy. She starts following Paul because she knows the truth. That's what the text says. She starts to shout, He knows the way everywhere Paul goes, he knows the way they know the way. Did you know there are people who are looking at you? They're watching you and they're saying, he knows the way she knows the way my marriage is in shambles and, and their marriage is thriving. Maybe they know the way. My my son's struggling with addiction. And maybe these people know the way. Or I'm drowning in depression and anxiety. and, And the way that she faces suffering with joy, maybe she knows the way. But we're too busy. We're on our way. We are on our way. Meanwhile, there are people in bondage who the enemy is making a profit off of. When you're on your way, God will put people in your way. And this interruption was for Paul, I mean, it was annoying, I guess, embarrassing, maybe. But the reality is that there are interruptions in many of our lives right now. If you don't have an interruption that you've identified tonight, is coming just give it a minute okay give it a few days a few weeks like oh there it is there's the interruption and and i don't i i know that many of those interruptions are more than annoying that they are painful they're costly they're disappointing they're draining they're hard What if God wants you to see that interruption as an opportunity? What if he wants you to see it as an invitation to involvement? So the text says that she kept this up for many days. Can you imagine someone following you around like that for many days? And, you know, Paul wasn't born yesterday. Like he knows something. He knows that if he stops and if he gets involved with her, that all the mess that she's caught up in is going to get all tangled up in his life. And he's like, no, thank you. I'll just ignore her. I'll just put up with it. I'll just act like I'm busy on my way to pray. I don't know what it was. If he got sick of it, he got too annoyed. But it says in verse 18 that he finally turned around and he told the spirit to get out. And she was set free. Amen. She was set free. So let's pick up the story in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered that they be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. Okay, so let's let's just take a look at this little inventory of uh, what happens when you get involved. Ready? So the owners went after him. Of course, he ruined their very lucrative business. They had him arrested. The crowd turned on him. Not really the uh, attention or the warm reception he was hoping for in the city of Philippi. They. Stripped them naked, took their clothes off of them, and then gave them a thorough public beating. Then they threw them into a maximum security prison cell and fastened leg irons onto them. Yay for involvement! <laughs> This story literally goes from this, this slave woman in bondage to Paul and Silas in bondage. Do you see what happens here? Do you see what happens? You know, Anyone want to get involved now? Anybody ready to go? Like, uh, her mess became their mess. Her problems became their problems. When we get involved in kingdom work in the world around us, it means that the divorce is going to get talked about in your living room. It means that they're going to cry on your shoulder. It means that their financial situation might impact your pocketbook. It means that their problems are going to start sucking up your time, your energy. But when you're on your way, God is going to put people in your way. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be messy. It's going to mean sacrifice. And it will be the momentum for the miracle that God wants to do in your life. So let's keep reading. Because the story just gets better. Picking up in verse 25. but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to get saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. We'll stop there. So so here's the jailer. The jailer gets saved. The whole rest of his household gets saved, which, you know, a household in, you know, first in Stilipi wouldn't have been like, I don't know, you know, two kids and a dog. Like we're talking twenty plus people for an entire household. And then, you know, the text doesn't explicitly say this, but I'm convinced that everybody in that prison got saved too. Why else, if your prison door got flung wide open, would you not run out into the night? But they all stayed. They were compelled to stay. So all, like all these people came to salvation that night. And did you notice how Paul and Silas at the end of what I would consider to be a very bad day, begin to do what? Sing. <laughs> They're in there singing. Like they had a bad day. Think of, the, think of a bad day that you've had recently, like where, where you got the worst news and then something else happened and something else happened and something else happened. Did you sing? I don't know. Maybe you did. I didn't. I'm just going to be honest. So here they are. They're singing. And I think sometimes, you know, uh, we can kind of get caught up in the drama of this story, But, but the jailer plus his whole family gets saved. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Paul sets this woman free. And this sets in motion this chain of events that ends up establishing the church in Philippi. Like, think about this for a minute. So so forget about, you know, we can't forget about the whole reason why Paul showed up in Philippi in the first place, right? He was there to plant a church. That's why he showed up. He was there to plant a church. And so here he is, he finds this slave girl and he ends up, you know she ends up finding freedom and she becomes the springboard for that miracle. So much so that when Paul leaves town, which he did right after this, because the magistrates kind of made him leave town. So he leaves town after this happens. And so the church as Paul heads out of town is mostly just the people who got saved in that prison that night. It's the jailer, his household, the prisoners. We've got Lydia and her household that was saved in the text just before this one. But we're talking about like, this is the church. And so the church that Paul planted happened that night in that jail cell. And here is the beauty of this miracle. We know from Paul's letter to the Philippians that 10 years later, when he was writing this letter, that this was still a thriving, healthy church. By the way, most of Paul's letters, if you're getting a letter from Paul, it probably means you're in trouble. Like, Usually his letters are written because he's confronting some sort of heresy or he's addressing some sort of problem. But the Philippians letter is a joy-filled thank you note from Paul. Paul's writing to the church, and, and this is a church that just doesn't seem to be weighed down by the same level of controversy and heresy and problems that so many of these other churches struggle with. And so here is this moment where, you know, we know that even 300 years later, 300 plus years later, Philippi is still a strong church. It's still providing leadership for the region around it. By 500 AD, there are five church buildings that have built in the city of Philippi. And when we go back, we trace that miracle all the way back to its starting place. This city that became a place of of strength and endurance for the early church. If we trace that all the way back, the momentum for the miracle was Paul's involvement, that he was willing to get involved. And listen, I believe that the momentum for the miracle that God wants to do in your life tonight starts right there too. It's in the middle of life's interruptions. And some of those interruptions are big. Some of them are small. I think sometimes it's tempting when interruptions come our way for us to, our, our world can sometimes get smaller. Just an interruption comes and it's unexpected. It's not what we, we planned. It's not what we wanted. It's not how we thought things would, would pan out. And so... <sighs> Our world just gets smaller. Our gaze gets focused on our failing bodies or our crumbling relationships or dreams that have been dashed. I think about my dad. Some of you know my dad, uh, know who my dad, Kerry Kind, was. He passed away uh, six weeks ago unexpectedly. Um, And many of you had been praying for him and some of you have come up to me this week and even said how you had been praying for him. Thank you for that. But, uh, you know, my dad, uh, he passed away six weeks ago uh, from, it's more complicated than this, but essentially complications from a uh, lung transplant that he had had in November. And it's interesting because as soon as he was listed for that double lung transplant, do you want to know what he did? He started praying for his donor. I mean, here he is moments, minutes, hours, days away from getting a phone call from, you know, potentially one of the biggest interruptions of his entire life and he's praying. I just want to read an excerpt of something he wrote. In fact, he was calling other people to pray. He said, as we pray about my lung transplant process that, I will, that will take place soon, I am burdened with concern for the, for the donor. Who is he or she? They are a younger person, reasonably healthy, who has probably made no plans to die in the next couple months whether by motor accident or some other tragedy, they will suddenly be ushered into eternity, yet leaving priceless gifts for strangers like me. How do I pray for them? My prayer is that God will pour his love and grace into them now. And then he goes on to pray a a beautiful prayer, asking that if this individual doesn't already know Jesus, that they would find Jesus. Praying uh, that if there are any relationships that need to be made right, that they would feel this compelling urge to go to those important relationships in their life and make them right. Praying for the donor's family who has this storm headed their way and they don't even know about it, and that that God's presence would be with them in the middle of this storm, and here's my dad about ready to face this massive storm of his own ended up being much bigger than we even thought it would. It's tempting for our world to get smaller, for our gaze to get focused on ourselves, on the things we've lost, on our disappointments, on the change of direction we hadn't planned for. But this is actually the moment where God is asking you to lift your gaze. That's the invitation. This is the interruption that he wants you to see as an opportunity to get involved in the lives and in the work of the kingdom around you. And your willingness to join God there will be the momentum for the miracle that he wants to do, not just in your life, but in someone else's life too. (laughs) How else do you think Paul and Silas were able to sing in a prison cell? It was because they had just witnessed this miracle in this woman's life and they couldn't get over it when our when our involvement grows our life grows our heart expands our faith grows some of the times that i have felt most spiritually alive in my life it's when i've been watching god work miracles in other people's lives and I have gotten to be a part of it in some small way. What is the interruption you're facing right now? What's the interruption? What's the thing that you're going, I hadn't planned for this. It's not what I thought would happen. This isn't how it was supposed to go. Interruptions are an invitation from Jesus, to get involved. And as the band comes up to sing one last song, here's the reality, friends. It's not going to be nice and neat. Getting involved won't be tidy. It won't be easy. It's going to be messy. There will be days where it won't be fun at all, but it will be worth singing about. Amen? It will be worth singing about. And so as we sing this last song together, I just, I want you to, whatever you're facing right now, whatever your prison cell looks like, I want you to sing out in faith knowing that God can use even this as a momentum for the miracle that he wants to do in you and the miracle that he wants to do through you. Let's sing together. Just sing it out with your whole heart.